Thanks for joining us for this message from Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Shades Valley and its ministries, you can visit us at shadesvalley.org. All right, our uh, scripture reading uh, for today's sermon is, um, it's going to be from 1 Corinthians and chapter 3. The two passages will be verses 1 through 4 and verses 18 through 23. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you... Sorry... Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or Cephas, I don't know, Greek, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Father, we ask that you by your spirit open your word to help us see what true wisdom looks like and to call us away from the folly this world purports as wisdom. Call us to your son Christ and by your power give us the strength to cling to him, knowing that ultimately it is he who clings to us and holds us. We pray these things in his name and by your spirit. Amen. So if you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which is actually going to be the last chapter that we will cover in this book before we take a break for our Advent series. And and chapter 3 is actually the perfect place for us to take a break because this entire chapter, it really sums up what the Apostle Paul has been talking about so far. Namely, Paul has been calling the Corinthians and us He's been calling the Corinthians to be saints. It's the title of our series, Called to Be Saints. Paul's Paul's been saying, this is the calling on your life, Corinth. You're called to be saints. Saints simply means God's set-apart people. And that's precisely what the Corinthians are not being. They're not being set apart at all. They're blending in completely with their culture. And in chapter 3, Paul is going to summarize everything he said about that disparity so far. You're supposed to be saints. You're not being saints. Here's the summary of that. He summarizes how they're not living as saints. He summarizes why they should and how they can. And his summary, it, uh, when I read this chapter, his summary, it reminds me of the three little pigs. Uh, all of you know this story, right? In some way, shape, form. I know it because my father, when I, was, when I was young and we'd be driving together, he would tell me stories. He'd be driving, I'd be riding in the front passenger seat at five years old because it was the 80s and there were no rules. We never heard of booster seats or anything like that. But that's beside the point. He would tell me these stories, and, and you know the story of the three little pigs. Uh, you got... Uh, 
three pig brothers all set out to build houses. And the first two finish theirs really fast because they make them out of easy, accessible materials, straw and sticks. They then proceed to make fun of their third brother's slow progress because he's using heavy, hard-to-move bricks to build his house. And so to them, he looks like a fool. If he were wise, like they are, and he could finish fast and maximize his time for playing, relaxing. Now, we all know the story. We all know that there is a big bad wolf who will come huffing and puffing and blowing in houses that are made of straw and sticks. And what those two little pigs thought of as wisdom will be revealed as childish foolishness. That's what the story's trying to teach us all as kids, right? And they'll run to take shelter in the, the house of their, their brother, knowing that the brick is strong enough to actually keep the wolf out. And they will see that what they thought of as foolishness was actually wise maturity. That's a pretty good summary of what the Apostle Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 3. The, the Corinthians, and all too often we, are like those first two little pigs. We, we believe that our culture, this world's way of life, is mature and wise, and the gospel looks like something that would only be embraced by childish fools. In fact, that's what our world has said since the beginning. As they encountered this Christianity thing, it is a religion for the weak and the poor. And Paul looks at Corinth and he says, okay, Corinth, since that's the case, since the world thinks that the gospel is foolishness, then you need to become fools. At least in the eyes of the culture. You need to become fools by embracing the gospel. Because, Paul says, I promise that's what actually is wise. Corinth, you're the one actually being childish and you need to grow up in Christ. That's what he says in verses 1 through 3. Read them with me. But I, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. For you were not ready for it, and even now you're not yet ready. For you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Now, if you were with us last week, at the very end of chapter 2, we saw Paul talk about the difference of spiritual versus non-spiritual people. And we saw what he means are people who have the Holy Spirit and people who do not. He uses that language to mean Christians and non-Christians. And now, get what Paul is doing right here at the beginning of chapter 3. He looks at the Corinthians and he calls them brothers and sisters. He calls them fellow Christians. As my brothers, my sisters, my fellow Christians, I wish I could address you as people who are Christians. I wish I could address you as spiritual people, as people who have the Holy Spirit. But I can't do that. Why? He says, for you are still of the flesh. The flesh is another way of saying people without the Holy Spirit, people who are lost. Basically, Paul is looking at Corinth and at the, Christian, at the Corinthian church, and he's saying, Corinth, you are Christians, but you, you don't live like Christians, so I can't talk to you that way. Like what Paul says right here sounds contradictory. 
He calls them brothers and sisters, Christians, and yet says they are of the flesh. That's not possible. Either you're of the spirit or you're of the flesh. Why is Paul talking in a way that is self-contradictory? Because that's the only way he knows how to describe the self-contradictory way they are living. I wish I could speak to you as people who have the Holy Spirit, as Christians, but you aren't living like it. You're, you're, you're like baby Christians. But babies are people, right? Can we all agree on that? But can we also agree they don't live like it? at least not in any way that we would recognize as mature people. Paul says, that's what you're like, Corinth. Baby Christians. You're Christians, but you don't live like it. That's what he says explicitly in verse 1. He calls them infants in Christ who need to grow into maturity, which is why he says in verse 2, when I came to you, I fed you with milk, not with solid food. What he means is I fed you with the milk of the basic gospel. That's what he told us back in chapter 2 in verse 2. Corinth, when I came among you, I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I long to give you solid food, but I've got to give you this Milk. What, 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 what does he mean by he longs to give them solid food? Is that something different than the, the gospel? No, it is not. We will see throughout the rest of this letter that what Paul means by solid food is he wants to show them how to take the gospel and apply it to all the complexities of life. In other words, like what he's saying right here, it's like uh, I, I'm teaching my son how to play guitar right now, um, and he's, he's learning the basics, chords, some very basic scales, and if you know how to play an instrument and you're teaching someone how to play an instrument, it is a very painful and slow process, and you are very much ready to move on to show them things that are more advanced, things that are more complex. But even once we get there, Levi will not be leaving behind basic chords and scales. He needs all of those. In fact, those are the very things that we will simply be applying in more complex ways. Likewise, we need the milk of the gospel, the basic gospel hammered into our heads and more so pushed down into our hearts so that we can grow to consume the solid food of applying the gospel to all of the complexities we encounter in all of life. Paul wants to teach the Corinthians how to do that. But before he can, before he can teach them how to apply the gospel, he's got to remind them of just the gospel because they're living like they've never heard it. They're living immature as spiritual infants who aren't ready for solid food. What's the evidence of that? What makes Paul say that they are being spiritually immature? He states it clearly. Verse 4, look at it. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, then, then are you not being merely human? You're not living like you're not a Christian. You're not living according to the flesh. In Corinthian culture, We've gone over this several times, but if you haven't been with us, in Corinthian culture, people found their identity, their purpose, their meaning by achieving social glory, social status. Very different than us now, where we're not concerned with that. 
at all, but you have definitely matured. People were concerned with social glory, social status, and one of the main ways they gained that was by attaching themselves to popular teachers known as sophists. The more famous your teacher, the higher up the social ladder you climb. And here's the deal. The Corinthian Christians imported that practice into the church by claiming to belong to different church leaders in an effort to increase their status and be seen as more spiritually mature. Some would say, I'm more mature spiritually because I belong to Paul, the founder of our church. Others would say, I know, I belong to Apollos, the most gifted teacher to ever come to our church. So that makes me more spiritual. But Paul looks at that situation and says, none of you are actually spiritual because you're acting like mere humans. You're living accordance to their wisdom, to the wisdom of the world. You've been called to be mature saints. But you're acting like immature infants who need to grow up in Christ. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why this, what you're doing, is foolishness. Let me tell you why you need to grow up in Christ and why that's actually wisdom. Let me tell you why you need to grow up in Christ by showing you what you think is wise is actually foolish. Paul's going to lay out three ways that the wisdom of the world is like straw and sticks actual foolishness that is easily blown in. He he does this so that the Corinthians and we will be able to let go of the wisdom of the world and embrace the foolishness of Christ, which is actually wise. So here's the deal. For the rest of our time, let's, let's take each of these three things that Paul lays out one at a time, these three ways that he shows us the wisdom of the world is actually foolishness. Straw and sticks. Number one, wisdom of the world downgrades and distorts. This is why it's foolishness. The wisdom of the world downgrades and distorts. Look at verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Through this metaphor of a field that Paul, through his proclamation of the gospel, plants the seeds of the word, and Apollos comes along and teaches and waters, and God causes this Corinthian church to grow their God's field. Through this metaphor, Paul is basically saying, Corinth, why would you try to establish your identity by attaching yourself to me or Apollos? Who are we? Like, if you're, if you're a field, then we're not the field owners. We're just day laborers. We ain't got no status. We're just mere workers, planting and watering. We're we're servants. We're nothing. God is everything. He's the owner of the field. You don't belong to Paul or belong to Paul. You belong to God. 
He's more than just a mere owner too. He's actually the one who supernaturally makes the crops grow. In other words, who gives you, Corinth, spiritual life. Corinth, me, Apollos, we aren't anything. We're nothing. We're nobodies. Claiming to belong to us, it doesn't elevate your identity. It downgrades it. Because who you actually belong to is God. Why would you downgrade to say you belong to us? That's the wisdom of the world. Do you see? It's actually foolishness. You're God's, his saints, his people. That's your identity. Don't downgrade it. Shades, the wisdom of the world is actually foolishness because it gets you to downgrade your identity. Not only that, it also distorts reality. The wisdom of the world, Paul says, it gets you, Corinth, to, to pit me and Apollos against one another as if we're in competition. But did you notice what Paul drew out in this field analogy? He said, if you're a field where I plant and Apollos waters, then in reality, we're on the same team, trying to achieve the same thing. We're, we're united, we're one, we're working together, not for the purpose of you finding your identity in us, but for the purpose of you growing into your identity as God's. You're his saints. Don't let the wisdom of the world downgrade that identity by distorting reality. Shades. Where do we find our identity? Identity is big in our world, our cultural lingo, and the zeitgeist of our times. We are encouraged to find that identity in so many different things. Where do we find our identity? The wisdom of this world has not changed since Corinthian days. It the wisdom of this world still likes to take things and pit them against one another and get us to find our identity, our value, our meaning by picking the side we believe will give us social glory. And we still import that wisdom, that way of life, into the church. I'll give you, a, I'll give you the easiest example I can think of for, well, I'll give you the example of the way I think that can most easily happen at Shades pitting things against one another and finding our identity, value, meaning by attaching ourselves to one of those things over against the other. At Shades, I think the easiest play, way that that can happen is with something that we value so incredibly much that we call the three streams. At Shades Valley, we say that we worship in three streams, evangelical, liturgical, and charismatic. Those are three streams of Christian tradition. No matter if you grew up in the church, whatever denomination, you likely grew up in one that fell into one of those streams. They all kind of approach corporate worship together differently. And here at Shades, we have people from all of those backgrounds, and we try to embrace all of those streams through various worship practices in a way that works together to point all of us to to Christ. But here's the reality. The reality is that for each of us, one of those streams probably resonates most deeply. And it's very easy to distort the reality that those streams are united, working together, 
to point us to Jesus. It's very easy to distort that by dividing those streams and pitting them against one another. Lie. I resonate with the evangelical stream. It's emphasis on the word of God. And I actually think the word of God, that's, that's the most spiritual thing and the most beneficial thing. Honestly, I really don't know why we do the whole charismatic stream thing. It's a little annoying with all of its emotional excesses. Or maybe you feel more like the liturgical stream. That's what I resonate with because the the liturgical stream, it takes worship seriously by embracing historic Christian practices and having a sense of of reverence. The liturgical stream, we, we put in place tried and true practices that have ministered to the hearts of Christians throughout years and years. And what's at the center of our worship is the table, the very thing that Christ himself gave us and called us to in order to remember and worship him. Or... Perhaps we think the evangelical and liturgical streams are both incomplete and immature because neither of them embrace the Holy Spirit like us charismatics do. Surely the most spiritual are those who emphasize the Spirit. Shades, here's the deal. When we do this, we not only distort the reality that these streams are meant to be united in pointing us to Christ, but we downgrade our identity from being a member of God's family to being members of a faction. Do you see the foolishness? The foolishness of the world's wisdom. It downgrades and distorts. Number two. Number two. The wisdom of the world damages and destroys. The wisdom of the world damages and destroys. Paul changes up his metaphor right here. He moves from something that's agricultural to something that's architectural. You see it right at the end of verse 9, didn't you? I mean, he just makes the, the transition like that. He goes, you're God's field, God's building. And now he takes that architectural metaphor and he uses it in verses 10 to 17 to warn us again about how the wisdom of the world is actually foolishness. This time he shows us how it can actually damage and destroy God's building, his church. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, in the agricultural metaphor, Paul planted and Apollos watered. In other words, Paul founded the Corinthian church and then Apollos came later and he he continued teaching them. Now, in the architectural metaphor, Paul says something similar, but he expands it. He says again, he laid the foundation. He, he helped found this church. He laid the foundation. He tells explicitly what that is. It's the gospel, the foundation of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on, not merely to say that Apollos came along and did more teaching to build on that foundation. No, he expands it to include anyone and everyone who would try to build on that foundation that he laid. 
In other words, he expands it to include any teacher or church member who would teach, lead, influence the Corinthian church's direction, the Corinthian church's culture. Paul says all of that, all of it, it's got to be done in a way that aligns with the foundation that's been laid. Everything we teach, all the ways we lead, the culture we create, it all must align with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul warns us as to why. Verse 12. If anyone, teacher, church member, these are normal Corinthian church members that he's talking to who are causing all of these divisions and factions. They're laying on, they're building on the foundation in a way that doesn't comport with the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So Paul says to all of us, as we minister to one another in the church, as we, as we influence other people, as we talk, as we serve, as we, by our mere presence, are helping to foster a certain kind of culture. Paul says to all of us, if we do that, if we build with gold, silver, and precious stones, all of those are fire-resistant materials, all materials commonly found in the temple. He says, if we build with those, in other words, if we build in a way that aligns with the foundation then we will receive a reward as a faithful builder. But if we build with wood, hay, and straw, like those first two little pigs, straw and sticks, these are highly combustible materials, not very strong or resilient. He says if we build with those things, not only is that damaging to the building, but it's damaging to us. He says we ourselves, if we build that way, live that way, we will suffer loss. Because Paul says the day will come when the quality of our building will be revealed by fire. What does he mean? The day. The day. This is an Old Testament phrase, the day of the Lord. It's a reference to the second coming, to the coming kingdom of God. A day which is envisioned as a day that... Unbelievers dread and believers celebrate in. Uh, judgment in Scripture is not wholly a negative thing. The root idea behind the word of judge is to rule or govern. So for the people of God, you'll find them in the Psalms praying and longing for God to come and judge the world. What they mean is come, rule the world. Govern it, because they see that as good. A common image, symbol for judgment in Scripture, is fire. So what Paul is saying is that when the kingdom of God comes, 
all, the quality of how all of us have lived will be revealed. Uh, In other words, the coming kingdom of God will burn away all that doesn't align with it. And everything that does will be purified and perfected. Paul's, Paul's warning here is to be certain that we are being empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, living as spiritual people, to live our lives building in line with the foundation of Christ, lest we damage the church and suffer loss ourselves, not the loss of our salvation. Paul wants to make sure that that is not a mistake that the Corinthians make in hearing what he says. No, in verse 15 he said, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved only as through fire. Paul is warning right here authentic believers who are simply living or building like like those in Corinth who are dividing the church. The damage they're doing isn't necessarily intentional, but it's still real. Paul says that you will wake up one day to find that all of that time and that energy was wasted. You will be saved. but only is through fire. Paul goes on and expands the metaphor some more to not only talk about those who maybe are damaging the church unintentionally, but to talk about those who do have an intentional aim, not to merely damage the church, but destroy it. His warning kicks up a notch for them. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? We miss something in English right here. The you is plural. So I'm going to give you the southern translation. Do y'all not know that y'all are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in y'all? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And y'all are that temple. You feel the double edge of this warning? The warning side of it is meant to cut and be sharp and strike fear, but the other side of it is meant to make you feel deeply loved and protected. God loves his church, his bride, and he dares anyone to try and destroy it. Paul's basically saying, listen, Corinth, Y'all are doing accidental damage by importing worldly wisdom into the church. But if any of you are doing this knowingly, eyes wide open, destroying God's temple just so you can get your own popularity, then be warned the day will come when fire won't just burn up your work. God will protect his church. Nothing will ultimately destroy it. And anything or anyone who tries will ultimately be destroyed. That's the kind of protection he provides. Shades, do you see? Do you see right here how the wisdom of this world is actually foolishness because it damages and destroys? Number three, finally, final one right here. Number three. How is the wisdom of the world foolishness? Because the wisdom of the world deceives and denies. The wisdom of the world deceives and denies. It deceives. Um, it deceives you with lies about the future. Look at verse 18. Let no one deceive 
himself. Don't be deceived. If any among you thinks that he is wise in this age, worldly wisdom, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world, it's folly with God, for it's written, God catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Paul's saying that the wisdom of this world, it deceives you with lies about the future. future it, the wisdom of this world says it's leading you in the right way. You're going to end up where you want to be. I'm going to take you to the, the right place. But Paul quotes Job 5.13 and Psalm 94.11 to say that there is a coming day when the Lord catches the wise in their craftiness and all earthly, worldly wisdom is revealed to be foolishness. That's the future of the world's wisdom, Shades. Don't be deceived. And don't be denied. The wisdom of this world, it doesn't just deceive you with lies about the future. It denies you true treasure in the present. Verse 21. So let no one boast in men. Like the world would lead you to believe is wise, Corinth. Let no one boast in men. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. You are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Corinth, don't use the wisdom of the world to say, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, and just latch on to one of us. No, embrace the truth. You don't belong to me, you don't belong to Apollos, you belong to God. You are God's, and he, Corinth, has given you both of us. And not just us, everything. Corinth, God has given you every teacher as a gift. Me, Apollos, Cephas, he's, you don't belong to us. We belong to all of you. Everything does, because everything is his, and you're his kids. Imagine, Shades, imagine my children fighting over the tires on my car. There's not even enough tires to go around because for some reason we had five kids, but that's beside the point. Imagine my children fighting over the tires on my car as if possessing one of them would get them anywhere. When the reality is that as my kids, they get the whole car. And not just that, they get a house. Food, clothes, toys, family, they, they get it all. That's Paul's point, Shades. You are God's saints, and your inheritance includes everything purchased by the blood of Christ. He has purchased your present. He has purchased your future. He has purchased your life. And through his purchase, he has even defeated your death so that one day you along with all the saints will inherit the world. Chase, do not be denied all that has been purchased for you by Christ. Don't embrace the wisdom of this world. See the reality. That's to embrace something so much smaller. That's, that's foolishness. No, grow into the wisdom of Christ. How? 
how. Paul told us how. Look back, finally, verse 18. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, how? How are you going to let go of that? How are you going to grow into the wisdom of Christ? Here it is. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he may become wise. How do you become wise? Grow into the wisdom of Christ? Become a fool? In, in other words, do you see what he's saying, Shades? He's saying, abandon the desire to be seen as wise by this world. Be willing to be a fool in their eyes. Like, like our third little pig, right? Who, who built his house out of bricks all the while, his brothers laughing at his foolishness, but it was actually wisdom. So also with Christ. Shades, how do we grow into the wisdom of Christ? Abandon our desire to be seen as wise by this world. Abandon finding our identity, meaning, value in the world's wisdom and become a fool in the eyes of the world. That, that is the summary of everything that Paul has said so far. Corinth, Shades, you're called to be saints. God's set-apart people. So you must abandon the world's wisdom and be a fool who centers his life on Christ. But Corinth, Shades, I promise that's actually wise. If any of you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.